I can't do that easily. We're going to be uh, we're we're looking at closing. We're getting getting close to the end of Philippians, and you're saying, "Wow, finally." Um, I'm used to preaching verse by verse, not verse, verse, verse by verse. I don't spend three, like I know pastors who spend three or four messages on one verse. So sometimes I don't do that, but uh, it's not because I don't think that's good. It's just I don't have that kind of depth. <laughs> I'll have to admit it. I, you know, uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones could preach. He preached. He's, I've got uh, 14 volumes on Romans. And he probably has uh, 10 sermons on Romans chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. I mean, so I'm just saying it, but that that's depth. I mean, I, I, and, uh, but I do think that it's important to, to kind of get an overall picture of Scripture and then take sections as the thought flows um, out uh, from the book of Philippians. So Philippians, as you know, the theme is what? Rejoice in the Lord. It's joy, isn't it? It's, it, it and, and if you could say something, if I could say to you, what does it mean to be in the kingdom of God this morning? You should say, well, I know it's about righteousness, right? The righteousness of Christ. It's about uh, peace because God's made peace with God through Jesus Christ. And it's about joy. Those are the three things Paul says in Romans 14, 17. The kingdom of God is not in eating and drinking, but in righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. So if as Christians, if we kind of get, get our minds around that, is that, you know, that's really one of the fruits of being a Christian is God wants, isn't it neat? God wants us to have the joy of the Lord. He gives us the righteousness of Christ and then produces that in our life. And then he also produces peace with God, and then he gives us peace within. Notice how the book of Philippians end that way, didn't it? It says, may the peace of God guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And then he talks about contentment, and then he talks about something that I as a preacher don't preach on a whole lot, and that's about giving. It's about generosity. It's about God assuring us that our life, that we invest in giving of ourselves, our time, our talents, our, uh, those, um, our finances, those things that we invest have an important place in the work of the gospel. In fact, if I were to ask you, how certain are you that uh, your retirement's safe right now? given what's happening <laughs> in the stock market. I mean, you're sitting there and you're going, can it go down any lower? Can it get any lower? It's, I mean, they said, no, that's it. That's it's bottomed out. And then it goes lower and gets lower. And you're thinking like, um, do I need to do something? How certain do, how, what kind of certainty do we have when it comes to the things of this world? I mean, that's what Paul is really going to deal with here. And, and what he's trying to get us to think about is that there is one investment in your life that you can be certain about and you can bank it because you can bank it in heaven. And that's, that's probably the one thing in the Christian life for me has made the whole difference in the way I looked at my work and the way I've looked at, you know, uh, just... Just life in general, my family, uh, my kids, all these things, is to realize that what God, that when God looks at our lives, he says the one thing that we should, he says, treasure up for yourself, what? Riches in heaven. He says, because the things of this earth, he says, you know, he says, if you, tre if you lay up treasures on earth, what's going to happen? Moth, 
gets to them. Anybody had any moths in their, their closets? I mean, those things. Uh, uh, and thieves break in to steal the riches. You know, that, the thieves are not just bank robbers, by the way. It's, a lot of times it's institutions and it's governments. Uh, and, and he says, they break in and steal. But he says, but lay up for yourself treasures in heaven. And so what Paul is trying to do here, I think, as, as the Philippian church, they are experiencing with Paul, in many ways, it's kind of like they have invested interest in what's going on in Paul's life as a missionary. So Paul is writing a thank you note back to them. This is his thank you note. Now, I know that a lot of us, we get gifts. And what do we do? If we get a gift, we send a thank you note. That's that's proper and it's respectful and it's something that whoever gave you the gift, I mean, they get it and they go, well, you know, well, they appreciated that gift. You know, kind of, I mean, it's nice to have a thank you note. Well, Paul's writing this thank you note back to the Philippians and he does that because he wants them to know that the investment that they are making in the gospel ministry is making a powerful difference, not only for now, but for eternity. And that's what he's going to deal with here in Philippians chapter 4. We're, we're going to pick up with verse 14. Last week we talked about contentment. That was the first part of his note. You notice verse 13. Well, actually, verse uh, 10 through 13. Uh, but notice in verse 14, Yet it was kind of you, that word there is kind, is noble of you, to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourself know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I've received full payment and more. I'm well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To God our Father and God and to God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. So what Paul is doing here is he's giving them three assurances that they need. I mean, think about it. If you if I were to say to you, I want you to give me your money because I can assure you four hundred percent return. And you go, yeah, really? Yeah, red flag. Uh, what's he got up his sleeve? Uh, you know, what kind of trickery is this? Can we trust him? And how certain, I mean, how can he be that certain that that return is going to come back 400%? Well, Paul is giving these believers, I mean, the Philippian church has been like this. As soon as Paul... Paul invested in their lives. He preached the gospel to them. And guess who got saved? Lydia, the demon-possessed girl, and then the Philippian jailer. That's the foundation. And they immediately, the Lydia immediately took them into her home. And from that point on in Paul's ministry, think about it. Every time, so Paul leaves Philippi, goes to Thessalonica, and before he gets out of town, guess what? He gets a gift from them. And then he gets into Thessalonica and he gets run out of town. And they sent, they've sent him two or three gifts by that point. And then they go from Thessalonica to Berea, and then on to Corinth. And Corinth is a wealthy church, and he won't take any money from them because they don't want to, they're, they're, they're kind of like, they're stingy. Well, you know, I'll give you a quarter maybe, you know, for your time. And Paul says, you freed me up to preach the gospel. 
And he wants to assure them. He wants to, he wants to just tell them, look, this is what this means. When you as a Christian, out of the, the fullness of your love for Christ, give of yourself and of your finances to the work of the ministry. And I'm not talking about this ministry, just this ministry, but I'm talking about even as money goes out to foreign missions, as it goes out to the wider community. That what you're doing is that you're investing not only in now, in the present, but you're, you're investing in eternity. And that's what Paul is trying to, he's trying to, so he's giving them these three assurances because guess what? People think that this life is supposed to give them everything that they need for their enjoyment and their peace outside of God. In other words, you know, they tr they're trying to find, I mean, think about it, aren't, aren't people trying to find joy, peace, and happiness in what? What they have, what their job whatever position, power that gives them. And they're trying to get the fulfillment of their lives out of those things that are created and those things that are created cannot fulfill you. I mean, even in marriage, you know, uh, I know we have a couple people who are just going to get married. But you can't look to that other person to be the person to fulfill you in that marriage. Totally. Right? Right? Because if you do, you put a burden on them that they cannot, they cannot, they can't lift that burden. In other words, they can't be your all. Only Jesus can be that. Now, marriage is God's way of bringing someone alongside and uh, helping carry the burden. But marriage is not the ultimate fulfillment of a person's life. Yes, our marriage to Christ is because Jesus says, I am the bread of life. I am, you're thirsty, come to me and I'll give you to drink. And so ultimately, as we look at life in general, we have to look beyond the creation and look to Christ as the sufficient one, the one who has everything that we need in the Christian life. So Paul's going to give them three assurances here. And I, and I want to, so, so these assurances are, to a church that is living a life of sacrificial giving. And so he's going to give them some things here to encourage them in this. And so the first assurance that he gives them is this, is that the way that they're giving to the ministry and to the work is actually an evidence that they are partners in the gospel. Now, what's the difference between being a partner and being... Um, just being a, uh, an employee. If you are a partner, you share in what? The work, but the benefits of being a part of that organization. So partners, so Paul is saying, you Philippians here, notice how he even uses it in verse 14. He says, yet I was, it was kind of you to share that word there as koinonia, it's partner. To partner in what? My trouble. <laughs> And you Philippians yourself know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me. He uses that word koinonia several times, and, he, and the, inter, the, um, the translators translate it differently, but it's the same word. It's the word koinonia. It's partnership. And Paul wants them to know that they are in partnership with him. So, so, we, so he's basing that, making a connection is that when we give, that giving is in that, in, that we're partnering with that person who has given to us. 
Now, what, is, what did Paul give to them? Well, he gave them the gospel. <laughs> but now they are partnering with him in his, his suffering. So when he's, when he's in prison and he needs to pay rent, by the way, they didn't, they didn't pay for your rent in prison. You didn't get free, free uh, you know, people wouldn't be wanting to go to prison today. Why? Because you had to pay for prison. You had to pay for your clothing. You had to pay for your food. Paul's, Paul's I mean, he's dependent on somebody helping out. And guess the only church he says that did that was Philippi. Now think about it. There was Thessalonica and there was Corinth and, and there was Berea. And, 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 and there were all these other churches in, 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 in Macedonia. And, they, and what about the Galatian churches? Where are they at? And Paul says, none of them gave. That's why Paul was a tent maker. He said, well, you know, if I have to work, I got to work. <laughs> but, but in prison, he couldn't do that. And they sent a gift. And what he's telling them is, look, what you are doing is an extension of the gospel. So who are they investing in when they give? Who got saved in Rome? Think about the people that are being influenced. Well, at the end of the book, let's turn over there to verse, if you've you got your Bibles open. All the saints, verse 22, all the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. Well, how did Caesar's household, why are they greeting the Philippine, the, Philipp, the, Philipp, the Philippi, Philippi, the Philippians? Why, why are they greeting? Because Paul told them that, look, the reason I was able to be freed up to preach the gospel to you, free of charge, is because this Philippian church, I want to tell you about these people. Man, they love Jesus and they love the gospel. They love the gospel so much that guess what? They're supporting me so I can preach the gospel to you free of charge. In fact, he even tells 2 Corinthians, I think it's chapter 10. He says, I robbed other churches in order to preach the gospel to you free of charge. Now, he didn't, he didn't mean rob. He just means I took gifts from the Macedonian church, which is Philippi, so that I, could re, so that I would not have to ask the Corinthians, who didn't want to give me money anyway, <laughs> question my motives, so that I could preach the gospel to them free of charge. So who are they investing in? Guess what? Those Roman Christians, they're saying, thank you, Philippians. You are a part. You are brothers in Christ. I wish we could just get to meet you. Yeah, Paul told me about Lydia, and he told me about the demon-possessed girl, and he told me about the Philippian jailer, and he told me about your households. He told me about all the other people who love the Lord there, and I just want to meet you people. That's kind of exciting, isn't it? I mean, think about it. The people that we support in missions, it's not just, okay, the money goes over there, we hear nothing. Well, they send back reports for what reason? So that we know that we are in partnership with them. And by the way, it's not a two-way partnership. It's a three-way partnership. The other partner in this case is who? The senior partner. Verse 19 my God shall supply all your needs. Because, you know, when you're giving, you're thinking, I don't know where I'm going to come up. I know I told the Lord I would give X amount. But, you know, I'm really having a, I'm having, Lord, uh, you said you supply all my need. God does. I mean, he's making this promise to them. He says, my God shall supply your need. And so, so one of the assurances here, and notice he, what he calls it here in verse 1, or verse, verse 1, verse 14 is, it was kind of you. It's a noble work. He raises that you're giving up on a level. The word noble there is the word that Jesus used of Mary's gift when she took the oil and she poured it on Jesus' head before he died. He says, 
Don't you bother, Mary. That was a noble work she did. That's the word Paul uses. And you think, I didn't ever thought of giving that way. By the way, I don't, I, I, I think I preached on tithing when I was forced to by the elders at times, because I never really liked to pray, I preach on giving per se. But, but the point is, is that, of course, it's here. If I was in the text, I would preach on it, but it wasn't like something. I, I remember being in one church where they preached on it every week. Well, you know, no matter what he was preaching on, it came back to tithing. Well, that's, I think, a little overdone. Uh, but Paul is, is basically saying, I want you to know that you have a partnership with Paul, with the missionaries, and with God the Father, and that's really, really exciting. Think about it. I'm not just investing in my community. I'm investing in the gospel going overseas. I'm investing in the gospel going to another part of West Virginia or another part of this country. Whatever it is, whatever support, whatever, whatever ministries the church supports. Um, and so he's wanting to share that with them. And he wants to let them know that. Because sometimes we think, I mean, Paul says, you've shared, you have also a partnership in my suffering. Can you imagine what that would be? Do you think Paul ever got lonely in prison? Sure. Or maybe he even thought, Lord, is it worth it? I mean, man, I'm getting beaten up. I'm getting smashed. I'm getting, you know, I've, I've got, I've got uh, beaten five times. Uh, I've got uh, 195 lashes on my back. I mean, his back was probably just one, you know, huge mess. Thinking of lashes, I mean, with, with, with iron on the end of those lashes. Uh, you, you imagine that Paul wondered, does anybody really care what I'm doing? And that Philippian church did, and it says, you partnered with me in my suffering. Um, I'm reading a missionary's uh, biography. It's on John Patton. He's a, who was a Scottish missionary to the New Hebrides. And what was unique about it is that no one went to the New Hebrides. And New, the New Hebrides is it, like, if you could think of it in where Australia is, it's little islands off of uh, Australia, but they were, basically, they were um, cannibals. And so, uh, John Patton with his newlywed bride, hey, honey, uh, guess what? We're going to the mission field. Uh, you know, you married a missionary. Yes, we're going. And, uh, and uh, sh that was their first year. So, they're going, they sell over to uh, the New Hebrides, and they're going, going to, to missions. That's their mission field. And she dies the first year. But she dies after she has gave birth to the baby. And then the baby dies. And John Patton has to sit on guard on her grave for at least three or four days until her body decomposes because he was afraid they were going to dig her up and eat her because they're cannibals. And then he sleeps with his clothes on because they are chasing him. Finally, he has to leave that particular island because they had spears and gun, I mean, swords and so forth. And he came home and, and one of the, one of the, and now this is, the, the story kind of gets kind of, kind of crazy here because when he came home, that one of the, one of the men in the church says, well, you should have just stayed and become a martyr. You would have been better for the church. And I'm going like, I don't think that's what he means by partnering in your suffering, <laughs> you know? Well, so what happens is John Patton goes back to another island in that group. He goes back there. He remarries. And what happens after that is that he spends, in the, in 15, after, at the end of 15 years, that whole island has converted to Christianity. 
He writes and publishes a New Testament in their language, 1897. The chief of the tribe, when he died, said this to Patton. Farewell, Missy. That's what he called him. I am very near death now. We will meet again in Jesus and be with Jesus. I mean, talking about uh, the skeptics who were saying, well, missions is just a waste of time, a waste of money. Guess what? I don't think that's what God was thinking. And I don't think that that's what that, that, I mean, these guys, these people actually, I mean, think about it. This, this leader, this chief was one of the people that was, was, you know, basically before he was converted, he was also, was a cannibal. That whole island were cannibals and the gospel changed them. And so that, so Paul wants to assure them, what you're doing is investing in those lives of people who need to hear the gospel. But secondly, he does something else. And, this, and I think this is even more beautiful. Verses 17 and 18. Notice what he says here about their gift. You think, well, that's really something. But notice verse 17. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I've received full payment and more. I'm well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Notice how he, he so, so this is the other assurances that what they're doing and they're giving is an act of worship. And it's an act of worship that has eternal significance because it glorifies God. That's the idea. I mean, it's a, the, the, the idea of the fragrance going up to God was, was a burnt offering. The burnt offerings would go up. When Noah, uh, remember in the Old Testament, Noah gave a, uh, an old, he had this, he gave an offering after, after the flood, right? And it says that God smelled the offering. That God actually smelled the offering. Now, that's, I know it's an anthropomorphism. It's like, a, it's g- describing God in ways that we can understand. God was well pleased is the idea. He was really pleased with Noah's offering. And guess what Paul's saying? God is really pleased with the way that you are sacrificially giving of yourself. And, of, uh, uh, and, and, and so Paul is saying, he's, he's saying the same thing so that as they're giving, they realize, you know, this is pleasing to God. God is well pleased you know, it's not, it's not indifference. God's not sitting there. It doesn't make any difference. Remember when Jesus was sitting at the temple before he was crucified and, the, and the, the widow of name, or not the widow of name, but one of the widows came in and she gave a little copper coin and dropped it in the box. Probably didn't even hear it. Of course, you know, then the big givers came in. Boom, boom. You know, they're giving. Everybody could hear it. And he says she gave more than they all. Why? Because she gave out of her need. And Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, he says, that the Philippian church, you begged me to take gifts to the Jerusalem church, and you did that out of your poverty, out of your necessity. In other words, it hurt to some degree to make that kind of a sacrifice, but you did it because you loved the brothers and sisters so much. And that's well-pleasing to God. I mean, if you could picture this, it would be like, um, this is kind of, I, I was thinking this, maybe this is kind of a little bit, uh, flaky in terms of the way I think. Uh, but think of it, God's sitting there. God knows the Philippian church, right? He knows they, they love the Lord. But he, 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 he asks, you know, let's just say he asks one of the cherubs, what's that wonderful smell that I'm getting? And they said, well, that's the Philippian church. They just, they just are overflowing with generosity 
in the work of the ministry for Paul. Can you imagine that? To think that, that we give off a fragrance to God as Christians. And you say, well, that's a little far-fetched, Pastor. No, it's not. But remember 2 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul says, we are a fragrance of God unto Christ. Now, you know what a fragrance. Now, guys, I'm, I know I'm not going to ask this question. You're going to get on to me because then your wives are going to go back home. Did you read that? You know, one of the things about this culture is we don't write letters, right? When was the last time, Cody, you got a letter? I mean, I'm not, I'm not teasing. <laughs> I mean, when I was, when I was, uh, when Chris and I first met, she went off to, she had some tests and stuff and, you know, and I, I, know I was getting, I was missing her and everything, and I got a letter from her, and I just sat there with that letter. You know, and one of the things about a letter that if you're, you know, if you're, you know, your special one is writing is that whatever perfume they're wearing gets off on that letter. And what's the you do with that letter? You don't just sit there and go, ah, you know, okay, all right, throw that out. It's not, it's not, it, this is not bills, you know, this is not paying bills here, guys. You're sitting there with that letter and go, Oh, wow, boy, that just, that fragrance reminds me of my, my beloved. Paul's saying, we are a fragrance of Christ unto God. The way we give, the way, everything, I mean, think about every act, I mean, things that we do, we, we take, those are acts of worship. They're acts of, of love and, you know, we're, uh, to God and saying, Lord, you know, I love you. And, and this is one way I can express that. Uh, and so the Philippian church gave off an aroma. And, they, and you know, when Paul would, he knew that the Philippian, somebody from Philippi was coming, guess what? I think he was saying, man, I just love those Philippians. They're such, they, they, I just look forward to the fellowship and the love and, the, and, and just the, 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 the attitude with which they come. But there's this last assurance, I think, that, that really is kind of like the, the key verse of this section is this, is that the sacrificial, give, sacrificial giving is really rests on one thing, God's infinite resources. You can't, you can't diminish what God owns because he owns the whole world. I mean, think about the, the, the richest man in the world is nothing but a pauper to God. Because he owns it all. He owns the whole world and all the universe and everything that's in, in it. And, and so Paul says, and my God will supply every need of yours. Just in case you're wondering, because of all the things that you're going through, guess what? God will supply your every need. And he'll do it, not just, he's not going to do this. Well, you know, maybe I'll give you a few cents, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to. That's not the way God gives he says, according to what? His riches and glory. How much does God own? And how does God give? It says that he gives hilariously. He loves, the word generosity means hilarious. Oh man, I can't wait to do this. Oh, this is great. That's hilarious. <laughs> it's, it's just, oh, I'm over, I can't wait to do this. That's how God supplies our need. He's excited about it. It's not like, boy, I wish God wasn't so tight, such a tight. You know, you, had, you ever been around a tightwad? Oh, you need money? Well, let me see if I got a few pennies in my pocket. That's not God. That's not the way God does things. God gives according.
his riches in glory. I mean, the argument, I mean, think about it. He who gave his only son up for us all, how will he not with Christ give us everything that we need? Not what we want, not what we lust after. <laughs> Lord, I just love that banana pudding. I just, or, you know, not what we lust after or desire, but what we need. And that's what Paul is trying to get at here. He's saying, look, just remember, as you're giving, never think that what you give to the Lord is forgotten. You're laying up treasures in heaven. Now, I'm not saying that we do this in order to get to treasures. It's just that God in his, I mean, God, I mean, God gives us more than what we think we might be giving. And he's never, and none of his resources are diminished by the use. He could, he, could give, he could give you as much as he wants to, and it still wouldn't diminish heaven. Heaven would be just as full because it's never, never diminished. I mean, think about uh, some of the shortages that we're going through right now. Does, can, man, can man make this same promise to us? We can't even get baby formula. I mean, think about it. I mean, I've got a daughter who works in the, with, with, within the, the, the nursery, in the hospital, and they're rationing baby formula because people can't get baby formula. I mean, that's how, I mean, man, I mean trusting in man and man's ability to mess up stuff. <laughs> I mean, think about when we got COVID, what, what, what was it? I couldn't find toilet paper. I mean, you go to there, it was like, is, is this a mess? I mean, what is going on? Everybody buying all the toilet paper around here and paper towels. And you're going like, this is crazy. God never runs out. God's resources never run out. You know, we think about gasoline shortages. You can't drive in some countries right now because, you know, there's a gas shortage. And yet God says, I will supply Every need of yours, according to his riches and glory. Now, but we, we, we need not forget this part. It's in Christ Jesus. Everything that we receive from God is because of what Christ in his sacrifice for us has done for us. It's in Christ Jesus. It's not, it's not you know, we, we, we don't want to take that for granted. That God is glorified when you are holding the rope for the missionaries and others who are spreading the gospel. And for one another, as you, as you, I mean, because I mean, I think part of that, I mean, guess what? If you're sending money, guess what you are also doing? You're praying. <laughs> you're praying for the missionaries. What else are you doing? You might, you might be contacting them and saying, hey, I was just thinking about you. And I'm thinking about how can I pray better for you? But God is glorified because guess what? In verse 20, to our God and Father be glory forever and ever. God is most glorified when the gospel is being preached. Do you realize that no one could see God's glory the way that, in other words, before Christ died on the cross, no one could understand the glory of God's grace. Now we sing amazing grace, but guess what? We sing it after the cross because the cross is the greatest demonstration of God's glory. It shows something about God's grace that's extraordinary, that God no matter how low and how deep and how, how far gone you are, God can raise you up out of the pit. That's grace. 
no matter how, how bad the situation is, God can redeem that. That's grace. And it's all because of what Christ has done. And when God's grace is being preached that way, in other words, I don't say come to Christ, but you have to come to Christ in order to, if you come to Christ, the only way he's going to accept you is if you bring, bring something with you. You have to earn it. That's not the gospel. It's free. It's a free offer of the gospel. See what their gifts did allowed Paul to say, come to Christ. There's no obligation other than to repent of your sin and trust him along for your salvation. I mean, I'm just thankful that we have a God who loves us that much, that he wants to give us this assurance. And so as I think about just, I, I, you know, I just want to go over those three things I, I wanted to, because I mean, these things hit me and I feel like it, it's, but, but your giving, the way you give is an evidence of your partnership in the gospel. That's really powerful, isn't it? This is not just, you know, it's not just, you know, indifferent. That, that your sacrificial giving is an act of worship. It, it has eternal consequences. And, and God, by the way, all of those who hear the gospel and that repent, guess what? Those are the same people that usually glorify God. <laughs> right? The end of the Psalms is this. Let everything that has breath do what? Praise the Lord. <laughs> what does that do? That brings glory to God. Right? Wow. That's the gospel. And then the third assurance is this, is that the sacrificial giving it's totally rests upon and is dependent upon one thing, God's infinite resources in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word, and we ask that you would just seal it to our hearts. Lord, I, I think of all the things that we do in our life, and yet, uh, Father, we sometimes forget that uh, everything that we do has significance as a Christian. And so we pray that we might give you the glory and the praise for it all. In Jesus' name, amen.